You're listening to an encore presentation of Sunny in Seattle. Welcome to Sunny in Seattle with your host, Sunny Joy. And coming up on today's show, Sunny is joined by Elisa Romeo and Adam Foley, authors of the book Holy Love. So stay tuned for a conversation on building authentic intimacy by connecting to the wellspring of wisdom and insight of your soul. And now I welcome your host for the day, Sunny Joy. Good morning, everyone. A happy Friday. Welcome to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy McMillan, and we're here every Friday from 9 to 10 a.m. on Alternative Talk 1150 a.m. KKNW, bringing you amazing guests and resources that will help you create a life filled with peace, joy, freedom, and purpose. It is radio that positively shines. And if you can't catch the show live, you can always access those show archives. You can find those at the radio station website, which is 1150kknw.com. That's 1150kknw.com. You can also find the show on iTunes and Podcast One. Um, And for housekeeping, my website is goldenoversoul.com, goldenoversoul.com. Uh, good morning, Benny. Hi, good morning, Sunny. <laughs> How you doing? Good. Okay. Another day. We're back at it. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited to be here. Okay. Any updates our listeners need to know about you and your mm, life? Well, we're, no, we're in the middle of love month, technically, yes. uh, but I'm sure in the love uh, for everybody. Okay, well, that's pretty awesome. much it. Well, that's a good segue into what we'll be doing today, uh-huh. talking all about holy love. Mm. <laughs> Do tell more. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and just read uh, the bios for our wonderful guests mm-hmm. today. Um, they have a new book out called Holy Love. Um, so we have today Elisa Romeo, MFT, and Adam Foley. They are the joint authors of Holy Love, The Essential Guide to Soul-Fulfilling Relationships. They're also the co-hosts of the Holy and Human podcast. Elisa is a licensed marriage and family therapist and intuitive and the author of Meet Your Soul, Adam is a certified somatic practitioner and yoga instructor who uses spiritual coaching, somatic healing, and his own intuitive abilities to connect people to their soul. Together, they help individuals awaken and deepen their soulful nature within relationship. As married parents of two, Elisa and Adam use practical stories from the trenches of everyday life, their personal spiritual experiences, and examples from their work with thousands of couples to teach sacred partnership. Find about, out more about them, their work, this new book, all of the good stuff at the website holyandhuman.com. That is holyandhuman.com. Elisa and Adam, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks good morning. Yes, it's always fun to have um, couples on the show and, as, as joint guests. And I'm thinking back, and I think this may have happened, I can count on one hand in the seven years that we've been doing the show. So this is a very special treat for us. Well, that's oh, really great. cool. Yeah. That's excellent. We're happy to be here. We can feel the sunny vibes. Yeah. This, We're enjoying the golden already. oversoul already. <laughs> feeling it. <laughs> Yeah, well played, well played. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whenever I'm golden over, so I'm like, we're in the right place. Yeah. This is our jam right here. Yeah. <laughs> Let's all marinate under the sun of the golden over. Yes, exactly. I know. Keep it coming. <laughs> these are, these awesome. are delectable. It's always fun when you speak in the same language with right? the guests. Um, well, so I want to start, actually, I have a, kind of a random question. Um, you know, usually when I get a book um, and they've got wonderful blurbs from awesome folks in the spiritual community and names that I will often recognize, but you all have a blurb from Danica Patrick, which I think is pretty fun. How in the world are you connected to her? I know she does some great work out in the world, but I was just curious about that. 
Yeah, Danica is such a beautiful soul. We've really grown to love her. She just found out about our work. She she was introduced to Meet Your Soul and she had a powerful experience meeting her soul. And then she came out to our little island and did some work with us. Uh, and we've become fast friends. She's been then. an amazing supporter. I think what, I mean, there's Danica is such an interesting person yeah. for so many reasons, but I mean, she is such a brave warrior type and she's so fast. And so when we do spiritual work, she's also really fast. So she's just kind of the person she's like, got it. See you on board. How can I help? Like, it was just like, she took a private jet up here. She did an intensive. We did, she did our podcast. We did her podcast and we've just been like, she just gets it. And it's really cool to have people, you know, when you're doing this work, it's hard to break into the mainstream because it's, you, it's kind of psychoeducation. You have to explain it to people. And I think what's so cool is Danica's platform's kind of like NASCAR. Yeah. And that's not usually the crowd that you would think, you know, in terms of like, um, usually the new age crowd has a little different stereotypes. So and, they brought uh, soul to the NASCAR <laughs> yeah, crowd. There you go. <laughs> and, it, and so that's what's so cool is she's yeah. a bridge really bringing it more to people who are like, what, what's that? Oh, and then she makes it when she explained meeting her soul yeah. and how her experience was she just really made it accessible for so many people who wouldn't have gotten it otherwise. Yes. I, well, I love that. And I'm so glad you shared that because I saw that and I thought, isn't that interesting? I know she's got a lot of layers and, and it has, um, she's out there in, in several spheres of, of course, NASCAR being the one I think she's most known for, but um, to have her be a fan of your work is pretty darn cool. So, and her podcast, yeah. Pretty Intense, is pretty awesome. They, mm-hmm. She's doing all kinds of consciousness kind of questions and interviews and stuff. So it's it's cool to see where she's going. Yes. Okay. I'll have to. I had no idea she was headed in that direction. And um, I look forward to checking that out because I've been an admirer of hers for uh, her work in NASCAR. Yeah, she's a yeah. great interviewer and she's so curious, right? Yeah. It's like she just has so many questions. And I think that's she yeah. she's really searching and it's you can feel it. Cool. Well, I want to start um, by di- diving into your background because each of you have come to this holy love work from really interesting backgrounds. Um, and so I, I guess I'll just turn it over to you. I know, Elisa, when you met your soul for the first time, that out-of-body experience while you were a student, a graduate student in depth psychology, that story is incredible, as well as, um, you know, Adam, you being a, a rare American living in an Indian family with an Indian family um, during a terrorist attack on a Muslim mosque um, when you were just a teenager um, and then traveling yep. through India. I, it just your backgrounds are so interesting. So I would I love would just love to hear from both of you to set this up as a conversation. What listeners need to know what's you know, what, what yeah. you'd like to share. You know, when we started this book, Elisa was like, what do you think really prepared you for holy love? Mm. And when we say holy love, we mean unconditional love. We use those words interchangeably. And I know the word holy might, for some, bring up, you know, past belief systems and, you know, have religious connotations with it. But we really stuck with that word intentionally, Mm -hmm. because we wanted to reacquaint people with this idea that, um, the nature of love itself is holy. And that if we approach relationship work from that perspective, that that can really change the way we see each other and the way we approach conflicts and, and all that. But so Lisa said, what really, you know, prepared you for that? What made you ready to, you know, show up in relationship in that way? And I thought about it for a long time and I really landed on 
this experience of when I was 15 living as an exchange student in India and experienced this was nearby during a terrorist bombing there. And I saw, you know, all the people that died from there and were injured from it. And that experience sent me into a deep existential crisis. And it really brought up a lot of questions for me of how can there be meaning in life and purpose in the universe if there's so much violence and hatred and and death and and so it really you know shook my world but it sent it sent me on a really deep journey and I started studying with a lot of the um uh gurus in India and doing yoga trainings and mindfulness trainings and uh like we said earlier uh, before we started our recording i had actually gotten a call from the un that was like we want to send you home to the us uh and my family urged me and friends but i really felt like i had to stay because i knew that this because he had become a target yeah oh, uh, for yeah. the next terrorist attack yeah that's, that's an important part of the story yeah. <laughs> sorry i forget the details Why did the sometimes UN call yeah. you? <laughs> yeah. so the un called me for that i was, I was going to ask news- <laughs> yeah i was in some news stories around the event that, uh because i was an american living near the bomb blast site. Uh, So that's why the UN called me and they said it could be an upcoming target. But I really felt like if I had gone home at that point back to the States that I wouldn't have answered that question. And so I was glad that I stayed ultimately. I stayed for another year. Uh, But that set me, yeah, it really opened up this deep uh, longing to find what was truly meaningful in life and what really made life worth it, because, you know, we'll all die at some point. And that really, and after some deep, deep soul searching for many, many years, I really just came to the conclusion of it's how connected you are to yourself and how connected you are to your soul. And then how much can you celebrate that with others, uh, with the people you love, with your friends, with your acquaintances, how much can you show up and have a real authentic interaction with them? So this is what this book is really about. It's about being your true essence and bringing that forth in the world with the people you love. You know, when I met Adam, I could, I didn't know his story, but I could feel his story. Like Mm -hmm. he stood out to me as just like, there's something different about this person in terms of his gratitude for life, his kind of integration of like living meaning. And it was just so you could feel the work that he had done. And um, yeah, so my background was more traditional. I went to university of Washington, studied psychology and speech communications, interned at radio stations in Seattle, thought (laughs) I was going to do that for a while. Thought maybe I'd be pre-law because I thought Allie McBeal was super cool. (laughs) (laughs) myself I'm sure and um, then looked at my bookshelf and noticed every single book on my shelf was like psychology and spirituality so started to say oh, okay may- I-, I think I can do this I for some reason it wasn't like an option in my head and then I uh, got this course catalog for Pacifica Graduate Institute which is a Jungian Carl Jung's work depth psychological program in California when I read the curriculum, I was like, this is my dream school. Like you can analyze dreams. You can do somatic work. You can just dive deep. And so I was like, I'm not sure how, but I'm going to make it there. And then when I got there, um, the professors were insane, just like leaders in consciousness, Stan Groff, who wrote spiritual emergence work and does holotropic breath work, Rick Tarnas, who wrote the passion for the Western mind and the work of Marion Woodman, they have Joseph Campbell library there. There's just like these masters uh, in consciousness that you're just around. And so that starts to influence you and it starts to shift your thinking and you start to expand and 
kind of think things in ways you, I wasn't, didn't happen to my family. So it was there on the grass of Pacifica Graduate Institute where I started to have like a trance like experience. I had been meditating a whole bunch of the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, a friend who I trusted who was a body worker was like, you look like you're going into an altered state. And we went into a back room and I left my body. I, mm-hmm. my consciousness left my physical body and I was looking down at my physical body, mm-hmm. which was really shocking to me because my dad was like a biochemist. My mom's a mathematician. I was raised in this super analytical family. So it was kind of always like you die, fade to black, the body's <laughs> worms meet. That's it. The gig <laughs> is up. And, um, so I was just like, what does this mean? Yeah. Because I'm not my body. Like mm-hmm. that was so wild. Yep. Um, And then I just really felt this love energy pulling me into it. And then when I joined into that reunion energetic bubble, I had what's known as a life review, which is like a movie of your life, but also from the vantage point of every person you've ever interacted with. So it's like this widened perspective. And it's also from the vantage point of love, Mm -hmm. of really understanding what the orchestration was in all those moments, what my soul was interested in me learning and incarnating and so it really shifted me. And I was in my, I don't know, early twenties when this happened. So when I came back into Elisa Romeo, any, any question I had from that place was immediately answered. I always say it's like the Google of spirituality where it's like, you put it into the search bar and it's just answered. Yeah. There's just like these knowings and downloads. So I could feel as I was then moving back into the consciousness of Elisa Romeo, this experience of getting dumber and dumber of like, <laughs> I'm losing this like access. And and, and it put in me this like, oh, wow, this is real. There's a part of us that knows. And there's a part of us that doesn't, there's a part of us in the ego that has amnesia and we forget who we are b- besides this lifetime. And, mm-hmm. and it put in me this like desire to stay connected yeah. in consciousness to that part of myself. So meet your soul. My first book in 2015 was really the result of how do we do that? How do we raise our brain state so that we stay in contact with that all loving part of ourselves And then holy love, this book's, how do we do that in relationship? How do we bring that to how we see each other? So we're not just interacting as egos, but we're seeing the love potential in each other, the unconditional love of why we came here. And then we're helping each other as egos Mm -hmm. to connect that way for ourselves so that when we die and we have our life review, we'll feel like I'm efficiency person really at the end of the day. I'm just like, I just want efficiency. What heals, what works, what doesn't, I don't want to waste time. Kind of like Danica, I have a lot of fast energy around that. Mm -hmm. And um, to me, it's just like, this just works. This is just at the end of the day, like the most kind of efficient thing. So we really created a method that's like very specific. It was a funny combo because you're like, we want this to be poetic and inspiring and connect people as a transmission, Mm -hmm. but it's also kind of an operation manual. So it was this combo of like, how? And, and so lots of exercises and meditations of really how to ra- raise that brain state and do that. Yeah. And I will just say on a, a little uh, follow-up to what you just said on the meditations and exercise, you know, I, I read a lot of books uh, for the show where folks are including meditations and exercises. And I will say that yours um, go places and um, instruct in ways that are new and different than what I've seen. Thank but, you. That's yeah. such, that's awesome to hear because yeah. we worked really hard on yeah. those scripts and prompts. We, we, this yeah. book, I feel like every sentence we went over like 500 times, which is like really <laughs> feeling the energy of the audience. Like, are they tracking? And we want people to have an experience. And we really feel like we're not trying to sell any dogma or convert every people. We, we want everybody to open to their own experience of just playing with it. Just yep. try and see what happens. And yeah. 
Yeah, well, it does that. I I very much enjoyed it. Um, so I do. I have a um, a couple of follow up questions to that um, on broad issues, but I have to ask about something that happened specifically, Elisa, after your out of body experience life review, and then you came back and you write. Um, this is a quote from the book. Um, a Pandora's box had opened, and now I could feel, hear, and see the souls of others calling for my attention. I could see the energy of their souls as a glowing golden ball two feet above their heads, connected by a cord down into their hearts, surrounded by a sparkly white substance outside the aura. When someone said something from their heart, the golden tube above them lit up with energy. However, when they told a falsehood that they may have even believed themselves, their energy moved into the front of their forehead, the analytical mind, and kinked up the tube that was attempting to come down into their body from the soul. That, I, that is just wild. And can you say more about that? Like, I, that's one of my favorite things from the book. Was yeah, I mean, it, it just became so visual yeah. to me. I think as an empath, somebody Sounds who like can... like a golden overfold. <laughs> yeah, that's right? Like go- that's what we're talking about. That is actually what it is, right? Is it's like, we, are we, our ego has free will. Do yeah. we participate with that part of us that's an internal and unconditional? Or are we like, no, I'm going to do my own thing down Mm -hmm. here my way. And then it just takes longer and it's just not fun. It's usually more, you know, painful. So my sixth chakra was really open. So, and my telepathy. So I was really hearing literally like a monologue from the soul of whoever was in front of me. And I'm also like a people pleaser. I'm an ENFJ. I'm a person who's like, I don't like to really stand out as like the weird one. Yeah. And this situation was like, no, this is your path is going to be the weird one in the sense of like, so for a year, I really, I mean, I was doing my internship in Seattle at the time and it is a survivor agency. And I was working to integrate the information from what had happened into my sessions. And it was an uncomfortable year because it was really like, I know it's so hubristic and like narcissistic to say to someone, I know what your soul's saying when you don't know. Like yeah. I didn't want to appear like some kind of like power tripping. Yeah. And and people use that stuff for dark things sometimes. Like yeah. there are spiritual teachers out there that come not from a good place when they're saying something like that and I'm like so aware of that. I was raised unitarian because my mom was scared of Jim Jones. So it's like <laughs> my whole upbringing was like don't go into a cult, you know what yeah. I mean? So yeah. um so like I'm aware of like sociopaths and manipulation and so it's weird sometimes, but it's also just true. It's just literally my experience is like, we are souls having a human experience. Some people are more awakened to that through just what's open in them chakra wise and their own experience. So it's just kind of also like, we're such advocates for soul at the end of the day. I think what we're always doing every day is like, how do we market to people who they are and help them get on board? Cause you need the buy-in from the ego Yeah, because we have the free will to say, yeah, I don't care. I'm not going to do that. And then I'm just going to be an addiction or rumination trying to solve problems from the energy level in which they're created, which is most people's lives. Exactly. And so I really thought about, you know, meet your soul. I talked a little bit about my out experience, but in this book, I go deeper Mm -hmm. because I really wanted to explain because that's the thing. It's like, that's, what's changed me. I've read many, many books on these topics, but how I know this and how Adam knows this is from our own experiences. I think it's just theoretical until you live it. So it's like, 
I want people to understand like who they are in that way, energetically and what's happening when we're speaking from programs and what's happening energetically when we're really connecting to soul. My master's thesis was what's the difference between a projection Mm -hmm. and intuition, because when we're in a projection psychologically, you're like, I know this, this is true, but it comes from a different energy than when you're really that tube is open and you're receiving that golden energy down your spine and you can feel every and I think as empaths people who sense things in their body as emotional we're all feeling this anyway like empaths can feel if someone's lying to themselves right it makes them uncomfortable sometimes people think empaths are wimpy they can't hang with any heavy emotion I think empaths actually can go really intense with people I just think what empaths can't do is handle the what the dissonance between what the ego thinks and then what's happening energetically. And I think we're wired that way because we're wired to kind of help people invite them into where that dissonance is as healers. But most people are unconscious empaths instead of conscious empaths. Yes. And I think that's one of the things that your book does really well. You have really mapped out these four different kinds of relationship that helped. It just was a new, it's a new way of thinking about it for me and to categorize these experiences we have uh, ego versus soul. Do you want to speak to that a little bit about these four types of relationships? And I think that's why we wanted to make it really clear, like with the diagram. And so that you kind of can't forget about it because when you have that map, then when you have a, an issue or conflict, you can really rely and use that information in the moment. So yeah, the, the technique we developed is called the four spiritual relationships And you're right, it's about categorizing interactions. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the most simple way you can think of it is in which category does this interaction fit? And how can I change this interaction? And so the first relationship is the ego to ego relationship. So this is who we think we are. This is our sense of self. And we can have a sense of self that's from our past belief systems, from our hobbies and our career that can be aligned with our true self and, and can be misaligned with our true self. So this is just our ideas. Uh, like Elisa said, it comes from the energy of the front of your head there. It's more of a mental understanding of self. And then we have our personal. And we, and we don't see that part as bad. I think some people it's like annihilate the ego, you know, and I think we're coming more psychologically of like, yeah. no, a healthy functioning ego, but an ego that's oriented to more to yeah. who, who, who else we are. Yeah. I would say with some of my most powerful spiritual practices is just taking care of my ego sometimes. Cause sometimes that is the most unconditional loving thing to do is that self-care. Uh, And so then the second relationship is our internal ego to soul relationship. So that's what you guys were talking about within that out of body experience is our eternal self, our soul self, the self that existed before we were born and will continue to exist after we die. This is our essence. Mm -hmm. This is what makes us uniquely us. And I think that this part, the soul essence is so important in relationship because it's what makes our partners unique and what it's what makes them entirely them. That's not based off their actions, what they do or how they show up. It's more of just who are they? Mm-hmm. And that's so important because you can do so much relationship work. You can focus so much on healthy communication and miss that piece of just, but are you aware of that person's essence? Yeah. So that second relationship is our own in, in, internal relationship from our ego to our soul. And we like to say that part is if, the person you love is in a coma, who are they yeah. as an energy? 
they're still alive, but they're not functioning as a personality. Why do you love them? That part of them, that's not what they're doing for you or what they're saying. It's that part that you really love on a soul level. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that in that first, sorry, the second relationship, that ego to soul relationship is all about meditation is about dialoguing with your souls about opening up your intuition so it's about strengthening your relationship to that still small voice mm -hmm. within so that voice of wisdom and we all know this voice we often say that intuition is just having the courage to know what you already know yeah because it's that sense of like oh, oh yeah, I kind of knew I should have left that job a long time ago. And usually when we do soul sessions with people, soul information is not radical or out there. Usually there's a resonance of, oh, this is true. Oh, I've known this all along. I've just been maybe denying it or bearing it down. So that relationship is about becoming conscious of that soul voice. Mm -hmm. And then the third relationship is the ego to their soul relationship. So this is your ability, like we said, to see that essence in that person to dial in into that part of them. And we have lots of meditations and exercises to do that relationship. And the fourth relationship is the soul to soul relationship. So this is the relationship that's happening, no matter what we're consciously aware of. Mm -hmm. So this is just the spiritual interaction and relationship between our eternal selves. You know, this is kind of a funny story. I don't think I've said on our past interviews, uh, but I'm terrified. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of the first times I became aware of that fourth relationship was, I don't know if you remember this, but we were in a cafe and there was these two college students and one was sitting one direction on his laptop. And then there was a girl mm. that was over here at the counter getting her coffee and Alisa was like, oh, those two souls are actually in love right now. Like, and they were kind of like looking different ways and not even aware, but she could see from after her out of body experience, this interaction between their souls that was mm -hmm. happening. So that was this in example. But they were, weren't talking at all on an ego level. They form. were like, yeah. Yeah, they're yeah. just like, you know, and you and can feel are. that like their energy is playing together, but yeah. they're not looking at each other. Yeah. They're just like pretending they don't notice each and, other. Yeah. And then what was hilarious is for the rest of our <laughs> meal there, we kept looking Spying at them, on them and we would notice them looking at each other when the other person wasn't looking. So it was like they were having this energetic relationship, like they were fully aware of each other on some level in the room, but their egos were not at yeah. all. And so that relationship is about exposing that world, is about making yeah. that world more visible and uh, accessible. Okay, so then I have to ask, knowing these, these four spiritual relationships, when you all came together for the first time, I would love to hear how you met. Was I, was about to say, <laughs> I was about to say, I mean, one way we really learned about this is through our relationship because, yeah. well... <laughs> it's a it's a it's a long intense story as you can kind of imagine given our backgrounds but but the the real thing that was happening at the beginning is my ego had a story of who I was and who Adam was uh -huh. and then my soul was like yeah no I don't care about your story that's not what's happening here and what's funny is because I was soul journaling before I met Adam for years like probably literally like maybe 15 years by the time I met him, I have a real strong relationship with my soul, Sophia. And she tells me things that are psychic in advance through my journal. So two years before we met, yeah. she said, someone's coming for you and someone's coming from your husband, for your husband, because I was married. Oh. 
Yeah. Okay. So, and I was like, nope, not listening. Cause you know, I just come from a family where it's like, kind of like divorce wasn't an option. And when you make a promise, that's it for the rest of your life. And so I think our situation was unique because we're teaching this. I think my life orchestration was very intensely about working the consciousness of what is a fear-based pack that you think is love Ah. versus what is the energy of true love. Yeah. And I had to kind of be startled by that through my own experience to really understand and to be able to actually like write this book and to help many, many people in terms of navigating the energetics, because, um, yeah, it's definitely about listening to your soul. I mean, when Mm -hmm. it all started happening, um, I had people tell me like, you know, you're going to lose your whole career. Like you're going to marriage and family therapist. And you're kind of like, you know, basically going in this other direction. And I was like, no, you know how I'm going to lose my career is if I tell people to listen to their soul and then I'm not (laughs) listening to my soul. And, um, and, and Adam is literally, it was a soul reunion when we came together. So we had these crazy energetic kind of Kundalini like experiences where we would almost like, like physically shake for 35 minutes at a time in these waves as our energy was attuning back to each other. And we had telepathic stuff really going on and kicking off. The story I think is, is in some ways hilarious (laughs) from my perspective, because I did not have any visuals or that type of energetic awareness before I met Elisa and all these things got awoken in me when I met her suddenly. Uh, And just a a quick note in the book, we also have a chapter called tough love. That's all about listening to what unconditional love is really saying. And so that's stepping away from this idea of uh, spiritual shoulds, the spiritual Mm -hmm. shoulds of the idea of what love should be doing or a spiritual persona of what love does look like to really listening and for each person, it's different. Mm. And so we've worked with all sorts of people. And some people are like, I think I'm supposed to leave. And then we really dial in the soul and the information's like, no, actually, that would be you running from a wound in this circumstance that you would avoid healing. And sometimes we get the information of like, oh, yeah, I've been actually intuitively feeling it was time for me to leave for years. Because as yeah. a marriage and family therapist, I had worked for years with kids who some people have really traumatized from divorce. And I think mm-hmm. divorce in itself doesn't necessarily traumatize kids. I think it's the way it's handled. Are they Thank you. conscious and communicating and talking? Are they talking crap about the other parent? Yeah. Is there, are they putting the kid? Are they parentifying the child? Are they triangulating. So I wanted to walk it very consciously. I wanted to make sure I wasn't doing anything projective or brash. I wanted to make sure. And what was funny is my son, who was three at the time, actually really blossomed. Him and Adam had soul connections from before. So there was this bizarrely unique, like Mm -hmm. flourishing and my ex handled it really well. And we, it's very conscious. Now they're remarried with the baby. They live five minutes away. We all co-parent. It's like really beautiful. Yep. And the three-year-old is 13 now. Yeah. Crazy time. Um, But I think it is that it's about, there's no right or wrong. It's really what is your soul doing and listening to that and taking the programs off and being really mindful and slow, but also listening and going forward with it. I mean, but what happened for Adam was we were sitting across from each other because yeah. they kicked off with the visual, yeah, so, which was terrifying to his ego. Well, what first happened, which was, <laughs> which was very funny, uh, was I, uh, I met Elisa and then I was like, well, I'm really interested in your spirituality and your work. I'd he love had to, read my first book. I'd love to meet up and talk. Uh, this was before. Authentic me, intuition. Yeah, it's actually written. before. Uh, so, and Elisa was like, no, 
Uh, <laughs> she's like, I, I don't, don't have time for that. I don't have time right now. <laughs> and uh, and then she called me like three weeks later and she's like, you're, and so what happened was I couldn't stop thinking about her and I didn't really understand it. Like I didn't identify it as love or in love. I just was like, I can't get this woman out of my head as much as I try. And, and I was having dreams about her and like literally having insomnia. And it wasn't even like sexual. It was yeah. just more like this yeah. magnet thing and yeah. I felt so weird because I'm like she's a stranger am I stalking her so I so I just like tried to really disconnect and you know and I uh tried to live my life but I couldn't stop thinking about her and then she called me and she was like well she, t- what were you doing when I called remember well I I so <laughs> I was trying to resist kind of thinking about her and then I finally was like okay I, I can't I'm just gonna try you know I like, think about her for a little bit and then I did and then she called me in that moment he was praying in the moment mm. and, and when I called yeah. yeah and then she called and she was like your soul won't leave me alone it's, she's he's bothering the heck out of me he keeps visiting me and he's keeping me awake and she was like this and I had never even heard of like uh happening type that my soul could travel to somebody else in that way yeah so eventually she conceded and we met up and then I was sitting across from her and in that moment I saw a being of light come out of her like it was like from her face and it but it was her but it was just like a light version of her body and then she just smiled at me Mm. and there's this smile and it was this recognition Mm. and immediately there's this feeling of it was like oh you are who I've been looking for this whole time. And I didn't even recognize that I was looking for anybody. But when I felt her, he was a musician on tour, kind of living that life. And when I felt her, it was like, oh, you're actually who I've always loved. Mm. And so it was, and, and then we had, we had like a year of integration of still, we were both resisting the relationship. Mm -hmm. I moved down to LA. We tried to kind of run from it. Um, but I, after I saw that, after I experienced that, I knew that a part of me would always regret if this, if I, if the relationship didn't work out, or I'd almost be haunted by the experience of like seeing the potential Mm -hmm. of what love could be and what life could be. And then Mm -hmm. saying no to that. It was really scary for both of us for many like physical world reasons, but I think we both came to the, this realization, like, we're being gifted by something really amazing from the divine and almost felt like slapping God in the face to be like, no, I'm not going to do that. Yes. Uh, Yeah. I'm, I'm just listening to your story. Um, There are so many similarities in my history. Um, I was married and how I came together with my current partner who now it's been 10 years as of that last week in January it was it was a complete wow. soul reunion. Same timeline. Yeah, that was actually it was ten years ago. <laughs> yeah, maybe there's something in the water in Seattle. <laughs> well, we were in Austin at the time, but oh, anyway, wow. he's from Seattle originally, so I was oh, lucky wow. enough to come with him back up to the Pacific Northwest. Um, in any event, I there's so much resonance, and and I'm nodding and just it's reminding me you are articulating your experience in a way that I would I didn't have words for at the time. I was not soul journaling. I was not connected with that part of myself. All I knew was that it was like the strongest magnetic pull in the world and it would have been a slap in the face mm. of the divine. Yeah. It did, mm-hmm. I mean our circumstances were sticky in the human realm, 
But yeah. to deny that kind of a love would have been denying one of the greatest, if not the greatest gift of this lifetime. So I wow, it so is, beautifully said. Yeah. It's literally the thing I'm the most proud of in my life. Yeah. Like if somebody says, what are you proud of? Because I'm kind of a, I'm a Capricorn. I'm naturally kind of uh-huh. skittish and scared. I like yeah. stability, security. And it was so terrifying to me. And I just feel like it's every day I'm like, I can't believe I even thought about not yeah. following that because it's just the love continues to open and unfold. And it's like literally like the greatest blessing. Yes. Yes. I, well, yeah, I hear you. And I and I feel what you're talking about from personal experience, too. Um, so thank you for sharing that story. Um, well, you know, it's weird sometimes in terms of our story, we have mixed feelings about sharing it because mm-hmm. we know it's really like. Uh, intense and not necessarily everyone's experience and we don't want to make people feel like this can't you know like you need this one particular version of love and if you don't have it then your love is less because we don't see love like that at all it's like the whole point of holy love is love is everywhere in every the potential in every interaction so it's just like are you looking in the right place I think it happened to us in this way because we're meant to teach it and so we had to have this like particular like real your ego needs to really get this together through the relationship but I think the reality is like with your kids or your parents or your friendships or your people you work with like there's always the potential in every moment to orient to their soul to that love part and that's what we want people to really feel empowered by and not like waiting for a particular type of love but opening to where is love right now in this moment Yes. And one of the exercises that you mentioned, and it was one of the ones that I most wanted to ask about for a couple of reasons um, that can help us not only tune into our own ego to soul relationship and dialogue with that higher part of ourself, but also do that um, soul to soul with another individual, whether that be a romantic partner or a parent or a child or someone else entirely. This idea or the, the exercise of soul journaling. Can you speak about that? That is just it's powerful. Soul journaling to me is like everything. And (laughs) it's so basic that sometimes I feel dumb even like explaining it because people are like, yeah, yeah, duh. But then it's like, but are you doing it? Because it makes all the difference because what I find over and over in sessions, what we experience is you'll say like, what do you think your soul is saying? And people say, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, but have you asked? Right. And then when they do, Sometimes it's not what the story was. And that just shows the ego versus the soul. It's like, we have all these ideas of what is right and what is spiritual and who we think we are, but then you literally have to be in the moment and just do it. So soul journaling is a practice. It's a spiritual practice where you just, I love to do it like a minimum of five times a week, but whenever you do it, if it's once a year, it's better than zero times a year. So whatever you can do, it's like yoga, right? The more you do it, the more your hamstrings will get it. And if you do it once a year, you'll be like me and you can't touch your toes. (laughs) But it's basically like you ask a question from whatever. And the question, good soul journaling is like, whatever the question is on your heart. When you woke up this morning, what Mm -hmm. questions were in your mind? We all have questions like, what should I do about this? What's going on over here? Why do I feel weird? What am I sad about? What should I eat for lunch? And you just start to ask your higher self. So you, the, the way you do that is you postulate, you hypothesize that you can do that. Number one, because first yep. of all, people are like, that's a weird concept. So you fake it till you make it. There's yep. a lot of fake it till you make it because the ego immediately will have resistance and yeah. argue. You can't do that. How do you know you're right? This yeah. is the dumbest thing. Why? And so you just have to kind of push through that, yeah. say hello to the resistance. And then you say, 
hi, Sophia, how am I doing today? Where am I coming from ego? And where am I coming from soul? What, and why? she said the name Sophia, so, yeah. because we suggest That's... in the exercise that you give your soul a name. And so this name has to represent unconditional love and wisdom and all-knowing presence. So it shouldn't be your own name or a name of a relative. Mm -hmm. uh, we also do a visualization where you can imagine it as like a color that represents. We have free love. meditations guided on our website, holyandhuman.com, because it's really in the beginning for people. Sometimes it's hard to just quiet the monkey mind and do it. So to have a guide that's active and visual while you're connecting, because you want to build a conscious relationship between the ego part of you and the soul part of you. So to personify and have a form of which to kind of engage with and to deepen that intimacy, mm -hmm. because then over time, when you keep talking to her or him, you'll start to know there's a certain voice that comes through that still small voice. You're giving a microphone. So now it's not just like it comes through when you're relaxed or meditating. If you're up at 3am and your kids screaming about the pain in their ear, you can ask your soul, do I go to the ER now or not? Mm -hmm. You can start to yeah. use it when the stakes are higher yes. because you've built that beta theta elevator really strong as a muscle in your head. So the more you talk to your soul, the more you hear and and it really is just creating a dialogue and like elisa said it is a relationship and mm -hmm. so in time you build trust with your soul i think you know the word intuition and psychic can sound magical and really out there but we've really seen that everybody has this ability we've mm -hmm. done this work with kids and the soul dialoguing works that you just turn it into a dialogue and so it's also giving your ego time to voice their its concerns and its emotions. So you don't have to be in an elevated spiritual state. You can ask a question like, God, soul, I feel so anxious today. Why? And, God, and soul might mm -hmm. say something like, because you're putting too much pressure on yourself. Mm -hmm. And then your ego can still have time to feel its feelings like, well, I think that's soul because i oh sorry well okay. uh, crap uh, <laughs> benny was able to dump it sorry since we're like <laughs> you all are used to podcasts i wish we were the this same is, but yeah. we got fcc this is human on part of holy and human sorry everyone. no no, no yeah. please no apologies <laughs> benny's able to dump it we've got a time lag <laughs> okay great so then you can come back with you know well i just you know i've but that makes me sad because now i have to do some self-work today and yeah. so i'll be like well don't worry about it today so soul really has this voice of unconditional love and support yeah. and so one re way you can know if you're really connecting into your soul is if you feel that resonance mm -hmm. of truth uh you can feel that on a somatic level too but also if you just feel that unconditional love support soul yeah. never comes in with judgment of your life never comes in with a pressure of like hey you didn't do this it respects your free will it's just that unconditional holy love source yes. and i think as westerners we're pretty kind of bad we're not taught about just like all these sub personalities within us yeah. and how psychological complexes just flash through us it's like i'm elisa this is who i am this is who i always am but really elisa is a shape-shifting uh, yeah. so many different like moods and complexes and feelings so then it's like who's elisa right. well it's like depends on what moment you're talking to her and so what what we were doing is we're we're investigating and bringing to consciousness those inner like remote control what station we're we on are we on station what my mother thinks are we on station what society would say uh -huh. are are we like choosing that station my essence my yes. soul the part of me that is eternal and consistent as an energy yes. and then orienting tethering north star finding that kind of guide 
to continue to just bring us back to home, bring us home, bring us home, bring us home. Mm -hmm. And so it is a practice Mm -hmm. and um, it does get easier as you do it, but it's a little weird at first, but a lot of it is just setting that intention. Mm -hmm. If anyone's done energy work or shamanic work listening, Mm -hmm. you know, you start to move the energy by the intention Mm -hmm. of where you're going, whether it's the upper world or the lower world in shamanism, or if you're like focusing on what you're doing energetically in Reiki. Mm -hmm. So you're setting that intention station soul. It's like, that's my GPS final points I'm going to. Yeah. And then you just kind of trust and fake it till you make it. And you'll be surprised by what starts to come through. Truly. The reason we have people write it is because people start getting really beautiful psychic information. That's like validated in the world later Mm -hmm. and surprising themselves on what we can access. Yeah. And the other thing um, you mentioned energy a moment ago, Um, This is a quote from the book. This was one of the things um, that I also am interested in with regard to the soul journaling practice, in addition to the wisdom that can come through in that connection and support and love. Okay, so you write that one of its hidden and most significant benefits is that it is also a medium through which to integrate your soul into your body. Physical grounding and body healing take place when you move the energy of the soul from the ethers down the arm channels and into a physical manifestation, in this case, through writing on paper or typing on a computer. It is a powerful form of energy work. Absolutely. Can you speak yeah, to that? Absolutely. Like that's just, that's yeah. so cool. Yeah. I think the most powerful, like really? more than anything. Yeah. Whenever we listen to our soul and then we take an action from our soul and we follow our soul's advice, we incarnate a percentage of our soul. And Mm. so we see incarnation, incarnating your soul as not a one-time thing that happens when you're born, but something that happens over your lifetime. Mm -hmm. And you can, you know, it's sad, but you can spend your lifetime feeling more and more disconnected from your soul and further away from your unique essence. But if you listen to your soul, And if you take action from your soul, if you write the words of your soul down, even if you listen to your soul and then turn that into an art piece or into a song, every single time we do that, we are bringing the soul energetically into the body. And that's also true with the relationship. Mm -hmm. So when we're in a conflict or when we're trying to, uh, you know, in the book, we say bridging that empty space between two people is a really profound thing Mm -hmm. because Every time in relationship, you start using your soul's guidance and taking actions from soul and being intimate from soul, mm-hmm. you are incarnating your soul. Mm-hmm. And so relationship becomes an incarnational process where you're not only incarnating your own soul, but you're doing actions and words that are encouraging your partner to incarnate their soul as well. And we see it like what we're doing here, like why we're incarnated here. Like, why are we a human consciousness on this planet in this 3D? Right. We're becoming our sainted self through these lifetimes. Mm -hmm. That's what we're doing. We're becoming more conscious love, more actualized love embodied. And we're bringing all these lessons, these tests, and we're we're making that love conscious. So it's like, yeah, using every opportunity interaction as a way to do that. When we do our retreats, we summon the energy of soul in the room and activate it. And then people feel, you start to feel the dissonance of where you thought you were and then where you're really here. And it's almost like this pressure cooker starts to happen uh, of who you are. And people just fall off their chair crying because there's, it's very physical. Yeah. There's literally contractions that start to happen. We call it soul birthing because mm. you kind of have to like birth, like breathe, 
stay in the moment, not get too tripped out about what you think is happening and allow that love to come in, penetrate, open you. It's really, I mean, it's like birth. It's the most beautiful thing. We just love being a witness to it. And we see ourselves like midwives of that. And that's what all our work is, is just like, how do we help people you know, part of a midwife is just like telling the person they're okay yeah. <laughs> in this process. Cause it's scary and it can be a lot. And, and then once it happens to you, you're like, oh my gosh, I was scared of this. This is the best thing. This is the most amazing feeling yeah. ever. But our ego has stories about what we think is happening. That's not always true. Yes. And so on that note, um, one of the, the parts of the book, um, specifically on soul to soul relationships. Um, and I want to see, let's see. Yeah. Um, you write that soul-to-soul relationships are recognized and honored when we consciously connect to the soul lessons and contracts that bind us together. Doing this immediately clarifies why a particular individual is in your life. And so I would love to speak a little bit about this idea of soul contracts. I absolutely believe it, and I can see, I, I see what I think or what I believe my soul is telling me is yes. the contract there. And so I'm just curious about soul contracts, and, and will we, can we really know before we transition to the other side, what the soul contracts are? Or do we have a pretty good idea while we're here? Yeah, I mean, I think there's always a level of mysteries we won't know till we get to the other side. But I think, like at least said, we're all about efficiency here. And <laughs> like as much as we can, we're going to figure it out. Yeah. yeah. And I think find, discovering your soul contracts can actually be quite simple in a way. Like if we imagine, let's say a teacher that was really uh, hard on us growing up, you know, we can have a story, a version of that, of, oh, that teacher was so terrible to me. And that, you know, was so hard on me. But then if that led to, let's say a writing career in which you were publishing books from a soul perspective, you may see that as, oh, that teacher was destined, was Mm -hmm. contracted with your soul to be a a hard coach for you because that's what you needed at that time. And even though your ego interpreted that as difficult on an ultimate level, it's going to bring you more fulfillment and ease. So that's a really, I think, simple way of just reframing something of if you just imagined, what if I just pretended that there was a purpose in the difficulty of this relationship? And so in that way, we've just exposed the soul contract, but just through that soul dialoguing, uh, we can get a lot of information about that. And the exercise in the book that I really love was is called Mystic Mad Libs. Yeah. And it's basically like Mad Libs, fill in the blank. Yeah. And so it's it's the ego playing around with what, why would love potentially be orchestrating the situation? What am I becoming an expert teacher in? Even if I hate this experience, even if it's been traumatizing and horrifying, yeah. what am I actually, how is this turning me into love? The potential. It also sometimes can be traumatic and traumatic trauma freezes us. Yep. And sometimes that makes it really hard to access the soul lessons because we're so deeply indebted in trauma. But I think it's also about, you know, do the trauma work, be honored your body where it's at, like go slow, do the inner Mr. Rogers work of comforting your small inner child and continue to have one little finger tapped into hypothesizing about what that could be. When I had my out-of-body experience, my dad, who drove me crazy around, literally he subscribed to Cynic Magazine. Like, oh no, Skeptic. It was called Skeptic Magazine. Have you heard of this magazine? And like that to me was just like so infuriating because I'm like this little mystic born into this family having weird psychic experiences since I was little. I was like, why do I have this dad who's like, just made, he came to my graduation at my psychic program, which is like a meditation school for three years and was literally like making fun of it the whole time. 
And uh, so I had all these wounds around like my reality, my nature is like a joke. Mm. Um, but then in my life review, it was like, you have the perfect father because he's incapable of like giving you praise around this. So you're like set up to be really a warrior in terms of really seeing what this is. And also the, what happens if you don't, like I had the front row seat to what happens if you cynicism to me, I learned is reflects our lack of intimacy with the divine. It's a wound, it's a trauma. And so I got a front row seat to what that looks like. So that's a good example of something that really annoyed me, but then ultimately was a soul contract yep. made, was made really apparent to me and was now, and now I can really thank my dad. Thank you for playing that role with me for taking that position so that I could incarnate more of my soul in this lifetime. Yeah. I, I have, uh, 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 my co-host on force Fridays, um, Dr. Alessandra Duke. And we spoke about this very thing in the last episode, um, uh, in February, first Friday of February. And, um, she, uh, and I'm not revealing anything. She did not reveal, she revealed all of this on the show, mm-hmm. but her mom has been her harshest critic her whole life. And we were talking and I said, I just have this image of you and your mother on the soul level, like high-fiving because Absolutely. Dr. Alessandra yeah. has finally yeah. stepped into her own and drawn these hard boundaries and, and seen her own worth separate and apart from her mother's criticism. And I was like, on the soul level, you guys are like, like cheering each other on for, showing up, playing the roles. And now the soul growth is there, you know? Absolutely. And it can be one of those things like you have to assess is the ego ready to hear the information because sometimes it can be so triggering to people to hear that. So you want to be, and I know you are, but just like, just for people listening, you don't necessarily, you want to ask your soul, right? It's the first relationship of what's going on with that human. What percentage of this information can they hear? And in what way can I, can I deliver it? using your intuition around that. But it's also like, yeah, we do mediumship work with the, you know, the spirits. And I remember once having a woman whose mother was an abusive alcoholic and she, her mom came in the room energetically and she's like, I don't want to speak to her. I hate her. Mm. And it was like, that was true, that trauma and that pain. But then I said, but can you open a little to where she is now, who she is now, because she's not who you remember. It's not the mentally ill part of her. It's yeah. like her soul. And yeah. she was like, I don't want, and she was fighting it. But then when she opened to it, she herself got that kind of the information of the feeling of the soul contracts. And it was so healing to her to be able to understand it wasn't her fault that yeah. it was mental health stuff with her mom and that yeah. what her mom was running from. And then you know, and she yeah. still had some stuff she would have to kind of feel through and work through. But I think it can be so validating and, yes. and healing when we can contact that love yeah. behind everything. Yeah, absolutely. And there's meaning and purpose behind it. Yeah. Well, I, I can't believe we're at the end of the hour. Um, I, yeah, that flew by. I know that was so much fun <laughs> and there was so much more that we could have dipped into. So that just means that people will need to buy the book, which is called Holy Love. Um, Full title with subtitle and everything, Holy Love, The Essential Guide to Soul-Fulfilling Relationships. I have been joined today by Elisa Romeo, MFT, and Adam Foley. Um, They also uh, have the podcast Holy and Human, and that's also the name of their website, holyandhuman.com. That is holyandhuman.com. Elisa and Adam, thank you so much. This has been so much fun. 
This was such a fun conversation. Thank you, Thank you. Really yeah, for diving yourself. deep with us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I will have to give a little shout out to Kim Corbin, awesome publicist with Thank New you, World Kim. Library. <laughs> yes, for hooking us up. <laughs> she works hard. She does her job. Yes, she does. Yeah. Okay, everybody, you've been listening to Sunny in Seattle. I am your host, Sunny Joy, signing off. I look forward to seeing you next week.